Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the podcast that, oh, well, tries to do what it says on the tin. Tries to go Netflix, cinema, where, where's the money being better spent this week? And this week, it's going to be a bit difficult because there hasn't been much in cinemas. My name is Tosin. I am your host, spaced up in the Midlands, somewhere near Birmingham. And joining me on the Isle of Wight, Let's as see. always, is... No, go ahead. Go... Yeah, go, no, go ahead. Let the sneeze out. Let the sneeze out. Is a very sneezy, itchy-nosed Sharon Rowland. How are you, Sharon? Oh, all right. Thank you. <laughs> are you going to sneeze? I think I'm... No, I don't think I will. All right, cool. It's going to come when, you le- when we least expect it. When we least expect it, when we're least ready for it. It'll be so, there somewhere lurking. Yeah, so, okay, so obviously this is our first show of 2022. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. Yeah, and usually, usually, this is, a, this is one of these weird things. Usually between Christmas and New Year, I remember the last couple of years, it's been a bit of a bumper period for us because we, we have time off. We don't do a couple of shows. There's a couple of weeks where we can actually go out to... I got a second. I'll keep. I'll start recording this. <laughs> there's a couple of there's a couple of weeks where we can actually go out to um, cinemas and we can see things. So we usually come back with a bumper thing, load, load of things. And I don't know about you, but I found that there has been very little to see over this Christmas period, like in cinemas. Yeah, and I found the same actually on any platform. There's nothing really that has went. Yes, this is the thing to watch. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, largely television and cinema have sort of passed me by a little bit this Christmas. Yeah. I have to say. Yeah, yeah, I have, to, I have to say because I mean, okay, there was a Doctor Who special, but I've given up on Doctor Who a while back. It, it stopped. It stopped being relevant with me. That, I haven't that... watched it. Well, I like to keep up to date with it, so I must admit I tend to start where I left off. So I'm halfway through Jodie Whittaker's first season as the Doctor. Yeah. So, I don't want to watch the Christmas specials and all the New Year specials until I've watched all of the previous episodes. I'll be like, where did he come from? Who is, who is that? Yeah, so I'm about to use It's Bradley Walsh was still in it when I was watching it. So I was thinking, when did John Bishop join? <laughs> so I need who to are these people? Catch up with that. Thinking, well, where's... Where's that? Where's the Doctor Who Tozen gone? Where was he gone? I thought he was in it with Bradley Walsh. Oh, yes, yes. Tozen Cole. So I need to, um, yeah, I've got to go back about two years to work out what's going on with that one. Well, okay, so so yes, so TV has been a bit. Well, I think it's, I'm trying to figure out whether I'm just getting old, whether I'm getting old, or whether it's changing. British scandal that was quite oh, good. I watched that too. I watched the very British scandal and the, the the girl before. I watched the so they were like two the two big BBC dramas, weren't they? So yeah, I did watch yeah. those two. Yeah. All right. Cool. So we so we have those, and we know the things that. But you know, usually, I remember. I think it was uh, second to last show of 2021 when we reviewed Spider Man No Way Home. Was that the last show of 2021? I can't remember. I re- that was the last one when you reviewed Spider Man. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Okay, it was the last one, and I said, "All right, and we'll be there'll be nothing to see next week because everybody will be running scared from Marvel," and I didn't realize how prescient that was because i actually looked up i know at the best of times i'm always complaining about the view cinema reddit because yeah. they because they don't show many things there's a lot of things that are shown that i just don't get to see and i looked up and there were three films on there were three films showing in the entire cinema the spider-man no way home matrix resurrections and i think clifford the bid red dog and well- uh, this is a, this is like an eight happy. yeah it's an eight screen cinema that had three films on <laughs> and, and I'm like and I'm like looking at the timings I think five of those screens were Spider Man No Way Home and that's all they were that's all they were showing for the whole thing but I I'm just kind of like whoa and the fact is I'm not sure whether you've heard about the um the box office returns of Spider Man No Way Home no. It is now officially the biggest hit that we've had in the pandemic. It is the first film, wow. to, cross, yeah, is the first film to cross a billion dollars at the box office. It made over half a billion in its first week alone. 
So essentially, even James Bond. We haven't Bond, seen those figures in two years or more. They have, really? No, we have not seen those figures in two years. James Bond was about 800 million. And people were like, oh, that's a good, that's a really, really good showing. It's a pandemic, blah, blah, blah. Spider-Man has come out, left everybody in its wake. It's still getting people into cinemas. People are still seeing, people are still going back for repeat viewings. So I feel like the Marvel effect has kind of been multiplied. And when I talk about people running scared and not wanting to release a film because Marvel has released a film, this this is another level. <laughs> it's been like a month yeah. and we've had nothing new. It's been, uh, and this is surprising because it's the run up to the Oscars. You would think that there was... Normally it's way- packed. They're all desperately trying to get them in yeah. before the award season. But I felt that the last two years, again, the award season has just felt slightly irrelevant because yeah. I, think, I can't remember any of the winners for the films for the Oscars last year. I remember Nomadland. And- Right, I don't, hadn't seen that one. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's. Uh, I've still got that on my list to watch in, on Disney Plus, but yeah, I haven't seen that one either. So, and I can't remember what any of the BAFTA winners were, or even going back a couple of years. So I'm thinking, to me, the but, the buzz that used to surround these award-winning films is just it's a slight hum rather than a buzz. <laughs> I like that. I like that sort of phrase, a slight hum. The award slight hum. There's a slight humming about the awards this year. <laughs> and we're all going, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, whatever. No, 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 stuff, yeah. I'll just, maybe just sit at home and try and find something through the thousands and millions of things on Netflix that I'm not going to watch. So, um, right. So all this to say, we have come to you with... We have four things for you this week. Four things for you this week because we have managed, between the two of us, to see, over the entire Christmas period, which is about a month ago, we have managed to see two films at cinema. Well, three, because I went to see West Side Story. Because that's the <laughs> last thing I reviewed was West yeah, Side Story. Yeah, the last thing you reviewed, I went to see West Side Story. So we've got to see that. And if anybody is wondering where Sean is, uh, our usual third musketeer, we've, we've had confirmation, we've had proof of life. He is still alive. Still alive. He's not been kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere in the north of Thailand. We keep getting videos on our WhatsApp group of Sean on the back of a motorcycle. Sean dancing around with some people, with some Thai people. He's having a whale of a time. He's having the absolute time of his life. Sean, we miss you. Enjoy it. We'll see you soon. Right. Um, but this week, what we have is, for me, the, the film I might have seen in cinemas was The Matrix Resurrections. Sharon, what did you see in cinemas? I went to see The King's Man at cinema. Yes, the only two films that braved the Marvel deluge to actually go into cinemas. Well, the only two biggest name films. And at home, uh, home, what did you manage to see? I managed to complete the second season of The Witcher. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing about this. (laughs) I'm looking forward to hearing about this. And I managed to finish Hawkeye, the Disney Plus series in the MCU. Them again. Yes, I know. We cannot escape Marvel. We cannot escape Marvel because... Well, let's be honest. Marvel rocks. That's that's why they, they've they've figured out what they're doing. They've got it, and it's going to the bubble will the bubble will burst. I have been saying this for probably about I don't know five years that the Marvel bur- bubble will eventually burst. They will eventually go up their own backs. They will eventually become unwieldy. But it does not seem to be happening for a while yet. No. Yeah. I My only we- pet theory about that is I think with like Spider Man is that. It's sort of it's like a generational thing, isn't it? I think one generation is sort of moving out of the spotlight, and the younger generation are moving in. And I think the Spider-Man we've just seen is very much that younger generation. I think um, because obviously well, that, move, that you're moving in has shifted. You know, when we when I think, you know, we're not the the main demographic now for what who the, the cinema going all that wants to tap into our money anymore. That it's is very true. Only some things, and so. As, especially they want films that appeal to the twenty-somethings when they're still oh. making films that appeal to the forty, fifty-somethings. You think you're going to have to shift your demographic down a generation? Well, <laughs> I think well, they're beginning to do that a bit more. Okay, now this this is reminding me of earlier um, earlier sort of episodes of Netflix versus Cinema, where we will eventually get around to reviewing some films. Yeah. But be, but before we get there, we get caught up in these philosophical debates as to the nature of cinema and of Netflix and what's happening and whether whether this is going to destroy that and whether it's a good thing or whether having the different options is good or whether we should just have everything on the big screen and all. We so so I'm going to let myself get sucked into this a little bit. So. Because the thing about it is, remember before the pandemic hit, you had this whole thing about the silver dollar or the grey pound, yeah. where 
people were making films that were made that 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 were specifically aimed for an older audience. So you had things like the Michael Caine starring King of Thieves, like anything Clint Eastwood does nowadays. All, mm-hmm. all these though, they they were sort of like aimed for at the the older audiences because the older audiences will still go out and see that. But obviously now with the pandemic, older audiences are the audiences that are most at risk. If they yeah, catch. so they're not going out. They're so like, so no. they are the ones who are not going out. So people have been saying that when you have a film, like I know a big one about it was The Last Duel, Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. Yeah, and yeah. that didn't do that well. That didn't do that well at the at the cinema. And I think it was up against some big film. I don't think it was a Marvel film, although it probably might have been. Yeah. It was up against a, that was released at the same time. So uh, And people were saying, well, look at this. Who is going to go see a film like The Last Duel? It's not going to be your 20-somethings. Even if you have Jodie Comer in it, the the, the appeal the, is going to be for an older audience. Certainly. Yeah, the appeal is going to be an older audience who are mainly the ones who are staying away. So I feel like we will have with well, with all the things that is happening with the pandemic, all the things that are, that is changing our viewing habits. The fact that the release window between things being in cinemas and things appearing on your TV at home is shorter and shorter yeah, than, it, I, than it has ever been. Well, you can see the last jewel on on on, on, on Disney Plus. Disney the Plus last, now. the last jewels on Disney Plus right now. Yeah, I mean the fact that Encanto, Encanto was in cinemas, and I was like, oh, I want to go see that in cinemas, and I was like, oh, oh, that week doesn't work. Oh, that week doesn't work. And next thing I knew, before I could actually find the time it's to bad. see it, I had I had about two weeks of thinking, oh, that week doesn't work, and boom, it's on Disney Plus, and I don't even have to pay anything extra for it. It's on Disney Plus. I can watch it at home, and so the, we, the things are changing. And I feel like we're going towards a world where cinema is going to be Marvel. <laughs> That's yeah. it. And earlier on, earlier on in um, in the in the pandemic, I remember talking about this, and I remember saying that essentially, I feel like Disney are just going to get to the point where Disney are going to own the cinemas. They'll probably own all the cinemas and use them the same way they use Disney Plus as their own personal re- release thing, because. More and more, when you think about why do I want to go to the cinema? Why do I want to risk something in a pandemic to actually go to the cinema? You want to go see something that's big, that has like, you know, um, what on earth moments that, you know, that is going to be like a talking point and everything. And with the best will in the world, the last duel is not it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's and it, it, it makes me it makes me sad. It makes me sad because I just think those sort of films, unless things change really quickly. Those sort of films are just not going to have a place. They're just not going to be made. If they're not going to have that audience on a big screen, they're just not going to commit to making that sort of... Well, well I, think they'll, I think they'll make them, but the people who are going to make them are going to be Netflix and Amazon Prime and Apple TV. Those are the ones who are going to make these films because... Well, they've got the money to... They've got the money. They're and generating the, and the money and they can throw it away on vanity projects and... Maybe oh. the less popular things. But not even that. Even that is that then if Amazon Prime goes, yes, we will supply all the silver dollar films, all the people with the silver dollar are going to go to Am- to go, go get Amazon Prime or go get a- Apple TV. So it makes sense for them, which is, it, it's sad. I mean, I think things have to change. Things have to move forward. But I think we're in the middle of a shift now. And I think Spider-Man, No Way Home's box office. Yeah. I it's just like going to shift that demographic down. I, I feel it's a seminal generation. moment. I feel mm. like this is where people are going to start going, you know what? Look what that thing did. And they had some kid running around in tights. When are you going to try and compete with that? We It'd be interesting spend... to see how... There's a film called Uncharted coming out, which again is Tom Holland. Yeah, it's Tom with, Holland. Um, uh, his with name has escaped me. Marky Mark. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah, that's a sort of a full-on adventure yarn thing and um, so it'll be interesting to see how that performs because again it's aimed uh, from the trailer to me it was like aimed at a much younger it, demographic it is and it is the whole vibe of it was like you know what will work you're an old man move out the way and then he's like you know from holland you know when you hit puberty then you can come and you know take me on so yeah there's a little bit of that generational rivalry where you can see it's almost like the old guard the, the established box office draws and well, sort of having to sort of move away now move to well, the side a little bit uh, another layer to that is that mark Wahlberg was originally supposed to play the tom holland character but the film has been in development for so long that, that, that eventually shot. he's playing the mentor so, <laughs> but um okay yes um 
Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. Let's stop the philosophical section. We can talk more, but we're not reviewing. We can talk more. We're gonna. We let's review some stuff. Let's review some things. So let's kick off with the only place where we can kick off, and that is going to be the Matrix Resurrections. This is the fourth film in the Matrix. What used to be a trilogy, and is now we don't know what it is. And directed by um, one of the returning directors. So you had the Wachowskis. I think it is the that is the safest thing to call <laughs> to, to say yeah. right now. The Wachowskis directed um, the original trilogy, and now only one of them, Lana Wachowski, has come back to direct the the fourth film. And this is a film that when they announced it, I said, "This is a terrible idea. <laughs> Why are you even doing this?" I hoped that there was a little bit more integrity about this thing because the first three were well contained. It was a story. It had finished. the The second and the third films were. I am in the I am in the camp that says that they were largely underwhelming and didn't make much sense and were not as much fun. The first one was an absolute stone cold classic. That was like I remember walking out of the cinema. And you walk out of the cinema and you go, "This is a film I've been watching for years to come." That film was amazing. That film, and it still holds up. You watch the original film, it still holds up. And so I just thought, why on earth are they making this film? And obviously the answer, as with anything film-wise, is money. Somebody likes money. And so they wanted to make this film. And so the funny thing about this is that Lana Wachowski, who who wrote the script along with some other people and and directed it, this film is... Let me put it this way. The first Matrix film was almost like a... It was almost like a straightforward adventure. Then the second, the second and the third films went a little bit more philosophical. And you can see that they were indulging a lot of the things that they were interested in and trying to put them into a sort of blockbuster film. And this film does that even more. So the first, and it's it, it's almost impossible to talk about this film without giving any spoilers whatsoever. So there are going to be some spoilers. This film starts off and it pretty much asks the question: Why the hell does this film exist? Okay. <laughs> so that. There's a bit. There's a bit in it, it. It might not answer it, but it asks the question. There's a bit in the film because bearing in mind that Warner Brothers made are the ones who released the Matrix films. There's a line in the film where somebody says, "Our parent company, Warner Brothers, wants us to make a fourth Matrix, and whether it's going to happen, it's going to happen with or without you. So what are you gonna do?" <laughs> so essentially, let me put it this way, Sharon. The first hour of this film is crazily meta. It is crazily meta. So. The film starts off, and the first scene of the film looks like the first scene in the first Matrix movie. So, police burst into a room. Trinity, so a, a woman clad in PVC, is sat, at a, is sat at a desk backing away. They're like, put your hands up! She jumps up, she jumps around the wall, starts beating them up and all that. And then you're thinking, hang on a second, we've seen this before. This is the first Matrix film. Then you, the camera pulls out, and what you actually see is you see somebody, you see another character watching the first scene from the first Matrix and saying, hang on, there's something a little bit different here. And then there's all this stuff going on, and you're like, hang on, what the heck is going on? And then you meet, uh, you meet Keanu Reeves, who has long hair and a beard now, looking very much like John Wick. And, the, and he turns up, everybody refers to him as Thomas Anderson. And Thomas Anderson is a world-famous video game um, creator who created a trilogy of video games called The Matrix. Oh, right. And and so and so essentially the first hour or so of this film is not really about story or anything. The first hour of this film is about the Matrix itself. And so it this is a this is the point where it could disappear up its own bum. It could disappear up its own bum where it's essentially this film is talking to you. It's kind of like somebody having a conversation with you, and it's almost the filmmaker talking to you about this is what we've made with the Matrix and this is this is why this film is being made. And it is, and I think it's quite, it's quite, oh, what's the word? Uh, it's, it's quite brave for them to make something like this. And I think the fact that the film studio actually let them do this, I really, really like. Because it's essentially talking about the nature of trying to make sequels and why you're making the sequel. It, it, th- this film pretty much calls the studio that made the film money hungry money hungry money grabbing people <laughs> and all that stuff is going on and i was sitting down there going "Ooh, some people are going to hate this but i'm kind of liking it i've kind of i kind of like the fact that they acknowledge the fact that it is stupid for this film to exist 
<laughs> that, that is and how this film exists I was, but then after that some things happen that go that become a bit more adventure matrixy plots plot driven stuff that happens up uh, them some and then that's when i think the film falls down a bit the action is nowhere near as good i mean the there are some plot points that they pick up from the second and third films which as i i, th- I thought the th- second and third films were confusing i thought that they i thought they didn't make much sense i thought that they were trying to do too many philosophical things that just kind of like and they, they pick some of those things up there is one particular scene that is makes no sense you have some characters who show up from the other matrix films do nothing and they have this whole fight scene about it. you're like what 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 why is that happening why is that guy just standing there yelling what is that what, what is going on and the action i don't think is anywhere near even even it's the, well, the action in the first Matrix films, b- brilliant. Second and third, not so good. But the action in this one is not even as good as the second and third films, which you would have thought, look, time has moved on. You can do more things with it. There's a bit where Neo says, I still know Kung Fu. And then he proceeds to go through the rest of the film, not doing any Kung Fu. <laughs> and, and, it, and, and where the film ends up, where the film ends up, it's almost kind of like it's... It felt to me a little bit like the filmmakers looked back and went, hang on a second, when we made these other films, we were younger. There were some things that maybe we weren't allowed to do um, that in the film. Maybe there were some characters that we wanted to give a bigger role that we weren't allowed to give a bigger role that back then, possibly because they were women. And um, and now this is a chance to 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 fix that and to 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 put those sort of, those sort of things in or to change that aspect of the story. And part of that, essentially, a lot of this film, the conversation you'll be having with yourself is not necessarily about what you're watching on the screen. It's about what you're watching on the screen means for the wider context and what it means for the wider world and for the Wachowskis and for the original Matrix films and all that. So for a a, a film, a sequel that's made way after, you know, anybody should care, a bit like the Avatar films that are coming up. It's like it, the, it, uh, I think that I have to applaud Lana Wachowski for trying to do something that wasn't just your s- standard sequel, for acknowledging the fact that look, it's a bit stupid that this one was getting made, and yeah, all in all, although I think I would still I would give it a three, I'll give it a three. Okay. I think the first hour where it's been it's been a bit weird and it's messing with your mind. I actually quite enjoyed that because it's like it, it showed a high level of self-awareness of what this thing is and of the fact that we've been made to make this film. <laughs> we don't particularly want to make this film, but we've made to make this film. That's that's where I read it anyway. So that's it. For me, it'll be a three stars for The Matrix Resurrections. Any questions, Sharon? Um. Not really. I mean, my only observations rather than questions were um, that where I wasn't really on the the Matrix bandwagon, um, it didn't really appeal to me. So I don't feel like I've missed an awful lot by not seeing. I don't think it's like essential viewing, but it just seems to be tapping into this sort of wave of nostalgia films that we're getting or these nostalgia sequels we're getting because it's like um, Ghostbusters Aftermath and then there's a new Scream coming out. And then yes, that's true. Matrix. Um, new reincarnation it's almost like there's this nostalgia where people are taking films that they suddenly look at and go hang on a minute do you know that that film is 20 years old now or 30 yeah. years old? Yeah. and they're suddenly saying if we're gonna let's revisit that and sort of celebrate the original film by making a new sequel so i think it's just sort of tapping into I don't know why we suddenly got getting this sort of wave of these nostalgia films, but it's yeah, but because you think about it, there's thing. there's a lot of the Rings TV series coming to Amazon, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's true. I think it might link to what we we're talking about before, what we we're talking and with about the pandemic. I suppose people are living in this sort of limbo, and they're just harking back to a safer, maybe a happier time. Well, well, a, things, more... a lot of these, a lot of these were were greenlit before the pandemic started. I definitely know. Oh, the Matrix was greenlit before the pandemic started. The Lord of the Rings show on Amazon was greenlit before the pandemic started. But I agree with you. I think it is essentially Hollywood getting less and less risk-averse because it's... I think nowadays, all the things we're talking about with cinemas, it's harder to take a risk and have that risk pay off financially. So I think that... um, I think with this, uh, my suspicion, and what is pretty much confirmed in the film, is that 
the you had some studio executive that was saying, oh, hang on a second, there's money to be made in reviving this old... They, they now have a t- title for a legacy se- sequel. It's oh, like, okay. they're like, oh, there's money to be made from that. And then they said that. they the, For what the film tells you is that pretty much the 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 studio who have the rights to make these films, they essentially told the filmmakers, we're going to make this film and you're either going to be part of it or you're not going to be part of it. Would you rather somebody else took a, <laughs> took a hold of it? Yeah, took hold of your went, legacy. Exactly. <laughs> your and the, and the filmmaker and went, made it their own. Yeah, and the filmmaker went, no, 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 we'll sort this out. And when uh, when they did that, so, but the fact that they've, essentially, The Matrix Resurrections is unlike any other, it, it it's unlike any other legacy sequel that's out there. It is, you have Ghostbusters Afterlife. This is going to be very different from that. It's good from whatever, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm blanking now on legacy sequels. Oh, Blade Runner 2049. This is going to be different from that. Yeah. Like all these sequels that are being made years after is yeah, definitely going to be is definitely different up. and is definitely better than the Star Wars sequels. So <laughs> it's, I'll give you that. It it at least tries to do something, at least seems yeah. to have some integrity, but it kind of falls down um as the longer the film goes on. But anyway, yeah, that's three stars for the Matrix Resurrections. And now we have had our first cinema thing. We will now go over to Netflix. And this is actually Netflix because when we say Netflix, we use that as a branch all term, catch all term for home streaming or streaming platforms. And now, but this is the one that's actually on Netflix. And this is The Witcher season two that Sharon saw. Now, The Witcher season one was one of those surprises that I think. I think we all had when we when we first saw it and we reviewed it. I haven't seen this yet, but I'm keen to hear how they're continuing it with The Witcher Season 2. So, Sharon, please go ahead. Yeah, so I actually did a double bill. I watched all of Season 1 again. Oh, so yeah. Because it's, well, it's been over a year. Yeah. And that's a long I, time I think that that would be a very, very... If you have the time, that's a very good idea. <laughs> yeah. And a year, when you watch as much as we do, you know, because we do try to cram as much in as we can... A year's a long time to remember yes. the nuances of a series like The Witcher. And I've only read the first book, so I kept meaning to read them all, and I never quite got around to it. And I'm not a gamer, so I know this The Witcher television series draws from the books, plus it draws from the gaming world. Yeah. So it isn't just like one or the other. It does draw from both strands. So if, you may have read the book, but you're still not going to get the full picture about what's going on unless you're a gamer as well. Yeah. So as I'm neither, um, I wanted to be as as fluent as I could be. So with the, the, the season left, there was a basically we're in a, a there's a place called Continent. Yeah. Um, and there's been this um, in, not an invasion, but there has been this sort of armed force from the south called Nilf from an area called Nilfgaard, where they're all they're helmed by this mysterious leader, and they're their chief. General always wears a plume on his head. He dresses in black. And this they ringing a bell. One particular country called Sintra. Yes, yes, and all ringing this, a bell. And in this city, this country that is ruled by a queen, who has a a granddaughter, and everything seems to be hinging around the granddaughter. They want to capture her, or she. They so as you say through the first season, you see this girl Siri fleeing from this invasion. Yeah, and then parallel to this, you have this. It's in a world where magical beasts happen, and where people have, are mutated and people have magic powers. Yep. And one of these people, who's sort of half mage, half mutant, uh, are these people called the witches. And the witches are people who are born human, and then were given a serum uh, that killed seven out of ten. So only three out of ten of these boys survived. All boys. Yep. And they were then trained. They were given that that enabled them to slow their heart rate so they could they have long longevity. They live much longer than your average human. They have super skills. They can take a shot of this serum stuff that gives them extra a kind of adrenaline rush. Extra boost. Fight and they can they're stronger and faster and more powerful than the average. They can sustain a lot more damage than the average human. So they're and, like and, and they take they take all this ability and they become some sort of medieval exterminator. Yes. So Elena has a problem and they have like a, a monster, a wyvern or a there's loads of different based on mythology. Yes. Um, these creatures. They come in and deal with your problem for money. 
they're effectively mercenaries. Yeah. And so we then meet one witcher called Geralt of Rivia, who is the white-haired witcher. And you see him basically like monster of the week. Um, but in one of these monsters... This is, this is still the first season you're talking about. Still the first season, largely. Yeah. You see... So just setting the scene. So during one of these monsters of the week things, he claims what is called the child of, of a gift of surprise. And this is something <laughs> that you claim off of someone... When you save their life, you can claim something that belongs to them that they may not be aware of yet. So it could be, so if they've just won the lottery, but they don't know it, if you claim the gift of surprise, that surprise is then yours. So if you've won the lottery, then suddenly the witcher or whoever claims this gift of surprise gets that. So yeah. they don't know what it could be. It could be, yeah, a, a really lovely pie that someone's made and gone, surprise, I made a pie. That could be their gift of surprise, or it could be a lottery, it could be anything. But yeah. in the witcher's case, the gift of surprise is a child. Yeah. He has then got, the, and the child happens to be Siri, who is this special child. So at the very end of the last season, we had a massive battle with the, the Nilfgaard and all the mages. Yep. And then amongst around all of this, we had Siri trying to find Geralt. And then Geralt suddenly thinking, actually, I do need to take my responsibility seriously and claim this gift child. Yeah. And the last scene you see where they're meeting up together, they finally meet. Yes, and, uh, and now because of, because of the the, I let you go on that sort of like recap of the first season because, the the Witcher is a convoluted show. The first season was a convoluted show, and so I let you go into that because I have a suspicion that without that, the second season is going to be really hard to get into. You won't know and understand what's going on or the history of it. <laughs> yeah. So then the the second season starts at that moment. So they are. Where Siri and Gerald finally meet each other. They finally meet. And so this is basically like half an hour later, season two starts. Yes. And they have stumbled into the aftermath of this battle. And well, around Nilfgaard. And so then Gerald decides that to keep, in order to keep Siri safe, because of all this battle has been going on, he is going to take her to the home of the witches. Mm. which is this this fortress, castle, whatever. They have a couple of adventures on the way, but eventually they go back there. And then you, as the series develops, I won't give you any more detail, as the mm. series develops, you get to understand a bit more about who Siri is, what her background is. And why everybody's making such a big deal. Yeah, and a bit more, why is she just a Why are people interested in her? And you learn a bit more about the history of the witches. You get to meet other witches. Uh, and you get to see where the witches live. Yeah, and then all the some of the different strands begin to pull together, where you begin to see basically what the big bad is, and you get to understand a little bit more about what the continent is and what formed the continent and why are there monsters, and you get a few get a few more questions are answered, and a few more questions are posed. Oh, all right, okay, cool. Speaking of questions, I have a couple. So, okay. <laughs> so one of the big things about the first season of The Witcher was timey wimey timeline stuff where you're watching it and you're enjoying it and you said that like, there's a little bit of a monster of the week thing about it but i remember specifically that it was either episode three or four there was oh, a moment where where, 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 where where it went like i was like hang on a second what's this guy i'm pretty sure i saw that guy die in episode one why is he here <laughs> and then you start realizing that they are doing weird things with time. That is like a big yeah. thing about the. It's a big. The structure of the first season is a, is a large part of the joy of watching it, figuring out yeah. where everything is going on and everything. Do, do they have a similar thing like that in season two? With that, I don't want to go into spoilers, but in okay. terms of timeline, no, there aren't. Okay. It's one's timeline. There's a few okay. surprises where you go, oh, I didn't know, oh, I didn't see that one coming. And there is a quite funny bit. Where one of the characters, um, well, it's not a spoiler when I say it's the bard. Oh, yeah, 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 of course, him. Tasakoi to the Witcher, oh, Valley of Plenty, oh, Valley of Plenty. You gather from when you meet Hasker again that he has basically put all the all the events of season one into song. Of course, because that's what he does. That's what he does. So everywhere he he's and he's become quite famous for being like he's like the pop star of his world. <laughs> and someone comes up to him and says, "You know what that song that you did, where in episode four that it was where you worked out that it was a different timeline." And you could and 
and they, they drop a couple of things in it that basically <laughs> could only would have come from the bars after people had watched the series. Oh, okay. So this one character was saying all these sort of, and he was saying, oh, yeah, I, I guess that. I spotted that, that. And, oh, I knew all about that dragon guy. I guessed that bit early on as well. And I knew that. Oh, no, no, that, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty and cool. Because it's quite a funny scene I in there like where it. it acknowledges that. It, it's quite like it because it's kind of like um you know uh uh on disney plus there is a series series called olaf presents it's like a series of shorts where you have olaf the snowman from um oh, right, yeah the snowman from frozen, frozen and he goes through a whole bunch of disney classics and he essentially enacts the entire story of a disney classic but in three minutes <laughs> and it's and and it, it's it's quite funny but it it stems from a play uh, there's a scene in frozen 2 where olaf recaps everything that happens in frozen 1 in three minutes <laughs> and i actually kind of like when you put it like that yeah that is a bit weird but um yeah i i, I do I, I do quite like those so okay so then the, the, the so the second question is how much would you give how many stars would you give season two I would give season two a four. For me, it worked again as a good sequel. Um, there's a bit less, and I think when we when we reviewed this for the first season, we were a bit. Both of us were a little bit gratuitous nudity for gratuitous no damn nudity. reason. There is a lot <laughs> less gratuitous nudity. There's yeah. a couple of scenes where you're thinking, okay, you just you want to introduce that whole titillation factor. Yeah, um, but this was made post COVID, so people weren't as probably. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I know there, there are some scenes where it's like, we're just going to use boobs as wallpaper. Yeah, we're just going to have naked ladies wandering around. Yeah. And so there's, there are naked ladies, but not not to the degree where you're going, oh, for goodness sake. Yeah. You know, what is the purpose of that? Yeah. So there is, in those terms, the, the violence is still there, the action is still there, the character development is good and not always linear, but you understand where they're coming from. There's yeah. a couple of twists in some episodes we go oh i didn't see that one coming so yes this, i i really read stuff that was really entertaining i like that sort of fantasy genre that that so it, it just sort of yes it ticks the boxes for me so i've really enjoyed it so i would definitely give it four. Oh, good stuff and also after me i am quite happy for henry henry cavill because i th- i thought he was a good superman but after the whole debacle that was the dc extended universe series of films i was really worried that Maybe this might be like, you know, the kiss of death to his career. So I'm really, really happy that he has gone because I think he's a big, massive push and he's a big um, he's a big influence behind The Witcher. And I'm really happy that he has taken the time when he had that and he had that push to actually do stuff and actually still be on screen and show people that he's actually really good. So I'm really quite happy. When, he, when he's interviewed, he's he's certainly uh, he's read all the books. He's been a gamer for years. Yeah, he's a nerd. <laughs> and he's basically made some of his own costumes. With yeah. the costume designer, he sat down and said, actually, I don't think he would have worn this armour. I think he should be wearing... And they redesigned Geralt's armour um, with Henry Cavill, saying that I want to be able to do this, and I want to be able to move, and I want to be yeah. able to fight. And, yeah. But they actually redesigned his costume. And I, I like thought, it. Oh, okay, how... He's he's just he's just a nerd with a body made of granite. There is hope for us yet. So, so, all right, so now now we go back to cinema. We go back to cinema, and here we're going to talk about the King's Man. Now you might have heard of a series or a series of films called King's Man, King's Man, the Secret Service, King's Man, the Golden Circle, and now we have a third one, which everybody else is doing legacy sequels. This is a legacy prequel, and this is a film that was that is set way before the other King's Man films about. About the setup of the Secret Service agent, the King of oh, yeah, Kingsman. Where it came from. Where where it came from. Now, there's so you've seen this, I haven't seen this yet, but there's stuff I've heard about this film that makes me think that you are going to have one particular gripe, one particular Sharon specific gripe about this film. And I am waiting to see if I'm going to be right. So please tell us about the Kingsman. Well, my biggest gripe is that they've taken history and they've shaken it up in a bit of a jar and they've pulled out the bits that they like and then they've just abandoned the rest. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I thought that I thought that would be the gripe. I thought that would be the gripe, uh, particularly particularly around playing around with the with the details of World War One. I. I thought that that would be your yeah. gripe about it. <laughs> yes, the fact that and the way they sort of said, oh, you know, all these people have gone to war and they've all died needlessly, and you think you can't summarize 
a complex conflict like the First World War into one throwaway sentence that all those millions of people who died, it was all just like for nothing. I think he right. ignored a century of the political, social, historical things that led up to the conflict of the First World War. Yeah. It isn't just like a we've had this madman who's you no know, machinating behind the scenes and has created this conflict for his yeah. own ends. It's just like no, but you have to. I had to sort of suppress that part of my brain that was going. That didn't happen like that. That's not what. <laughs> that. That's not. So you have to go. Brain, shut down. It's like history. Sit down for a second, okay? Sit yeah. down for a second. <laughs> just, 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 just chill, chill. <laughs> that would be like someone with OCD in a room full of crooked pictures. So I yeah. did have that sort of experience at, for some parts of the film. Oh, all right. So it's basically Ray finds his character is the Duke of Oxford. He is was given the VC in an earlier one of Victoria's colonial wars. They never make it quite clear which one it was because yep. they dismiss all that century of the colonial wars as it's just like Britain's land grab and they basically yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. it <laughs> so oh yeah so they sort of to write off that period of history is like that was just Britain's land grab and so I've got my VC but I'm deeply ashamed of it because you know I was just like a wicked Englishman of the 19th century yep and I'm a pacifist now and I'm going to raise my son as a pacifist and so you see there's a tragic event at the time of the Boer War, and then you see it jumps forward to 1914. Though anyone with an idea of any history who knows what's going to happen in 1914. Yep. And his son, who witnesses this tragic event in his childhood, is now 18 years old in 1914. And so Ray Fiennes uses his influence to try to stop his son going into the armed forces. Yes. Uh, but unbeknownst to him, he is a bit of a player and a bit of a mover and shaker in the world of like intelligence. But it's his own like private intelligence things where he works for world peace. That's who, what his aim is, is world peace. Yes. And so, but because he is a duke, um, he is connected to all the crowned heads of Europe. So he knows the Archduke Ferdinand, he knows the Kaiser, he knows the king, he's on intimate terms with King George V, and he's on good terms with. Nikolai of the Tsar of Russia. Yeah. So this one character who then decides that he's going to, on a mission that we don't need to go into, is going to go to Sarajevo to talk to his cousin Ferdinand. And then he's going to go to Russia because, you know, he wants to find out what's going on with Rasputin and yeah. that's interfering with other plans. So you get this one character who is interacting with all these sort of top levels of of European aristocracy and the, the kings, the heads, yeah. the crown heads of Europe, and it's all tied up with this. Um, this sort of the story is there's this madman who basically wants to bring about the, the downfall of all the crown heads of Europe, and he wants to re-establish a new world order, and he's going to do this by creating this this club, the society. Um, as a secret society which have infiltrated all these grand palaces. Yes. He's he's recruited into this group um, Rasputin, Matahari, um, Lenin. We then see other future dictators. Yeah. And other the um I forget his name, but this but the Archduke's assassin. And so all these events that have started these world conflicts they're not random events that are drawn in because of political treaties and other... There's somebody behind it making sure everything There's somebody behind it. There's a big bad behind it. And so this story is about how they want to take down this big bad. Oh. They're not aware of his existence until events okay. begin to make, join up. All right, no spoilers, no spoilers. But, oh, that means... I, I, I just assumed Rasputin was the bad guy in this. No, he's... I, I thought he was the big bad. One of the... He, I say he wouldn't. He's not a pawn. He's more than a pawn. He's a knight. So he has pawns of his own that he manoeuvres. But yeah. he is one of the pieces in a chessboard. So if you've got like the Black King, which is this mysterious figure who's sort of coordinating, yeah, who that is initially, coordinating all these things. The Duke of Oxford is like the White King, and he is then coordinating all his. 
Ah. And he has his knights and he has his bishops and he has his... It's a chess game, effectively, um, with these two big players. Okay. So it, it feels like we've gone to the point where anything else we would talk about plot-wise might be a spoiler. Yes. Uh, so I will go with, with Kingsman. The... The Kingsman movies have always been put forward as almost like a boy's own adventure with, quite frankly, the emphasis on the boy. Boy's own adventure, so they're they're a little bit juvenile. They're supposed to be quite funny, and they also usually have quite sort of visceral action with one particular standout scene from the first film, which sort of like is a classic of the genre, the the church. The church. So with those things, I think if you're going to have a Kingsman film, you're going to have, well, the things I want to see are action. I'm going to expect some humor, and I'm going to expect it to be a bit puerile. So yeah, it's it, there are it isn't as juvenile. I would say that because the main character is the Duke of Oxford. Yeah, it is played by Ray Fiennes. There are younger characters in it, but he is the star of this film. He yeah. is the White King. Yeah. So he is. It's all around him, and obviously he's a man of more mature years. So there are there are there's some scenes with Rasputin that made me sort of go, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> But then there are fight scenes where you're like going, is that humanly possible? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there isn't that sort of smirky, sort of sexualized humor that was in the, not the other. Yes, yeah. In the other film, so it, it was a problem, especially in the second film. Yeah, yeah. So that that element of it had they certainly played it down. I mean, there was a suggestion that the way to get to sort of Rasputin was for like for a young man to try to seduce him, which wouldn't be that hard. Yeah. So there's a bit of like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink about. Um, you know, a young man sort of, you know, having to sort of late set, set himself up as bait almost. Yep, uh, yep. This sort of lecherous Rasputin. Oh. Um, but so there's a few bit like, you know, so there's some scene, that's not the, the scene that made me really go, <laughs> no, I can imagine there's other stuff. I mean, there's one particular line in the trailer that was in the trailer that made you go, okay, what is this character going to be now? <laughs> so played with with sort of like you know risk of fans turning turning on the dimension meter to like you know eleven, and and, and, and uh, sorry, and, and I know that the other thing as they said you mentioned some of the sort of the some of the royals around Europe. And I know there's three of them like the Archduke Ferdinand, the Kaiser Wilhelm are all played by the same character by the same guy by the same actor. Yeah, Tom Holland he plays the three cousins, so he plays the Kaiser. He plays George V and he plays um, Nikolai um, of Russia. Okay, all right, he yeah. He plays the Tsar, the Kaiser, and the King. Yeah, because in real life, they were actually cousins. They're all and... cousins, yeah. And they all looked very similar. So when you take the, when you have their three pictures side by side, they all look very similar. And they all played at Osborne House, which is on the Isle of Wight. So when they talk about when they had their games, and they, they, they mentioned when they were children. Yeah. Um, at, at Osborne House, they're still there in the grounds. There are some trenches that they used to use. They war games in. Oh wow! And all three of them played in these trenches in at Osborne House. Oh yeah, you know we had another podcast where we had to, we we started having a we had a feature called Isle of Movies, which yeah. we talked about films that had some connection with the Isle of Wight. That sounds like Kings. The Kingsman would actually be a good. Yeah. Uh, What's the word candidate for that? But they're all they all three of them had their grandmother was Queen Victoria for all three of them. So yeah. they would come and stay with her at Osborne and other royal palaces, but they particularly would come to stay at Osborne. All right. So the moment of truth. How many stars would we give the Kingsman? I'm sort of torn about this one because to my personal taste, it was a three. Because yes. there's some elements of it. I didn't like the level of swearing. I didn't like some of the the fact that they just played so fast and loose with history. Yep, yep. But I could see that it was it's entertaining. I mean, the action scenes were good, if improbable in places. Um, I like Ray Fiennes. I think his character, he played it really well. There's some of the scenes were just, some of them are top-notch in some elements, and others I was thinking, really? <laughs> so, got me thinking, if I sort of shut down my own personal feelings, it would probably could be as much as a four. But my own personal taste is this is my rating. I would have to give it a three. Cool. Um, Someone who wasn't a, like a middle-aged, you know, history buff with, <laughs> with, <laughs> with like a, a, a swearometer in the an inner swearometer in their head would probably enjoy it much more and give it a four. 
<laughs> well, you, you also hope. You, uh, yes, yes, I, I, I would. Yes, we'll keep, we'll keep with that. And now we're going to a final thing, a final thing of the week, which is going to Disney Plus and talking about Hawkeye. Now, this is this year Disney. So Marvel have decided, or Disney have decided, somebody decided anyway. And Marvel they shut down a whole bunch of TV shows that had the Marvel moniker. So things that originally started with Marvel, things like Daredevil or Netflix and The Runaways or whatever channel that was to bring everything in-house because what they wanted to start doing is they wanted to start making TV shows that linked very explicitly to the films in the MCU. Mm. So in 2022, 2021, we had Vision, we had Falcon the Winter Soldier, we had Loki, and the final one was Hawkeye. It came at the end of the year, and sure enough, this is a film that is set around... It's essentially set up like almost like a Shane Black buddy, com- buddy Christmas comedy around about Christmas time. So the, the idea behind this is that you have Hawkeye, Clint Barton, who played by Jeremy Miranda from the films. And when it kicks off, it's, it's New York. It's around about Christmas time. He has gone out to New York with his kids. So you, from the films, you know that he has, three, he has three kids. And he's taking them to New York. And the film starts off with the first time you see him, he is, and I've spoken about this on the podcast before, he is watching, he's, an, he's on Broadway watching Rogers, the musical, which is a musical about the life of Captain America. It, what is a simultaneously genius hilarious laughable like you know cringe worthy scene it's all those things at the same time when you're watching this number of with this number that they're performing on, on um on broadway at the same time as he's doing this there's a character called kate bishop and going back to the original avengers movie she was living in new york she was in manhattan when all the aliens attacked and she saw from her window, she saw Hawkeye actually fighting these guys off with his bow and arrow, jumping off a building. And ever since that time, when she was a kid, she was probably around about five years old, she has idolized Hawkeye. And she has trained herself up to be like the best archer that possibly could be. She's learned martial arts. Her mother is like, oh, I cannot really control this girl. This girl's just out of control. But that's because she's like, no, Hawkeye, he is who I want to be. He's the kind of character I want. So she set up her life to be like Hawkeye and she's always trying to find trouble and she's always trying to do the kind of things that Hawkeye would do and uh, one day she is uh, because her mom is quite um, her mom is quite well connected and is kind of like you know power like is a socialite that's it she, her mom is a socialite in, in those this sort of upper echelons of New York um, New York poshery I guess you would call it and um, they go to this fundraiser she sneaks into the basement of the fundraiser and she finds out that there's a black market auction going on there. And it's a black market auction of all this stuff from the Avengers compound that got destroyed by Thanos at the end of um, Avengers Endgame. So they've got, they've got all this Avengers stuff like, oh, there's this thing that was used by this person and Thor had this thing. And one of the things that they have is the outfit that, uh, that Hawkeye, because in... This is going to be a massive spoiler for Infinity War, but the fact the problem with Marvel now is that everything is so interconnected. You can't talk about any new thing without spoiling some old thing. So, so if you haven't seen Avengers: Infinity War, Avengers: Endgame, I am so sorry, I can't help you. But after what happened at the end of Infinity War with the snap, where all of Hawkeye's family was snapped out of existence, he became Ronin and he went around the world, essentially killing all the people that he thought. How the heck have good people disappeared and you are still around? So he became this sort of scourge of the underworld where he went around killing all these people. But what they have in this underground auction is the original Ronin outfit. So they have the original Ronin outfit um, up, for, um, up for auction. While that's going on, there's, there's an attack. Somebody blows up the wall, uh, blows up the, the wall. And obviously because Kate is like, I'm going to be a hero. I want to be a hero. But she doesn't want her face to be seen. She puts on the Ronin outfit and she starts fighting all the bad guys. There's some of the bad guys go, oh my god, it's Ronin! He's back! The problem is that now, Ronin has a long list of people who want Ronin dead <laughs> because of what he did when he went around killing a whole bunch of people in the underworld. And when that happens, Hawkeye sees on the news that Ronin is back and he immediately goes, whoever is in that costume is going to be in a lot of trouble because he knows what he did. <laughs> he knows. So he goes and finds her and then that's how you have Hawkeye meeting Kate Bishop and then you go off on this adventure. And then the whole thing, the next six episodes are about them trying to figure out what's going on, who's connected, what we're going to do, how we're going to get rid of this mafia person. And Kate essentially learning how to be a hero. And 
Disney have done the usual thing, or Marvel have done the usual thing, where they've taken a TV series and they've used that to give a character that hasn't had much say in the films, or there's been too much going on in the films, to give this character a lot, and they've given this character a lot of heart and given them a lot of and made made and the, what they really make you realize is that everything that these characters go through in this film actually does have a consequence. In mm-hmm. Wonder Vision, it was all about the fact that Wonder had experienced a lot of loss. She's experienced a lot of loss that you never really thought about because hey, there's a building blowing up, yay! But and it's and so Wonder Vision was as much about grief as. Hawkeye is almost about imposter syndrome because Hawkeye, he, they mentioned it, he is, the one, he is the Avenger who should not be oh. there. You have yeah. gods and you have people in like mecha suits and, and you have a guy with a bow and arrow. And it's like, what is he doing there? And it's like, and he, they mentioned that over and over again. He mentions it himself. And the, and the, the idea as well, he also has um, survivor's remorse because of what happens with Black Widow in Endgame. So he's kind of like, he he's like, um, essentially, why am I still here? And the, and also the fact that the guy they also point out the fact that you cannot spend your whole life running around explosions and expect to keep all of your hearing. So Hawkeye has a hearing aid in this, and there's all these little things that they've put in there to humanize the character to actually make you realize that he is Hawkeye is a real. There's a lot of stuff you can do with the character. I mean, the the fact that Kate Bishop once says, "Look." There was the fact that we had aliens attacking the city and you weren't a god, you weren't a superhero, you had no powers, but yet you were still fighting in the middle of all this whole thing. And she's like, for me, that's the most like inspiring thing yeah. I've ever seen in my life. And you actually they go, actually, yeah. And I think and, the yeah, tree that takes more bravery than if you're a god going up against an alien monster than if you're an ordinary man. Yeah. And and I think uh, and I think that they really, really I really like the way they did this in this. I really like the fact that they've given Clint Barton more. I like the fact that they brought Kate Bishop in, she's great. There's some characters like um let me put it this way, Flor- Florence Pugh shows up. She is in the T V show. And she if was you in know, Black Widow, the film. She was in she, Black she Widow. Was of, she was uh, Yes. And the way um, things are going forward, you can see, you're beginning to realise because remember when Black Widow was made and we were like, Why did they make that film? This film is totally non essential. And it was non-essential for what had happened so far in the MCU. But for where they're pushing things forward, there were some things that they seeded in Black Widow that are now coming back. Nice. That are now coming back. I think, essentially, I think they made a whole movie that cost them millions and millions of dollars just to get Florence Pugh in the MCU. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what I think. That's what I think. But all in all, I really enjoyed this. I'll give this a four. I'll give it a four. It has a sense of humor. It is, I, I think... I don't think Jeremy Renner has ever been better. There's some great action sequences. There's one particular action sequence that reminds me of Children of Men, where they're in a car, and the whole sequence is done in almost like in one take. So it's like the camera goes into the car, goes back out of the car, the guys who are chasing them as they're firing the arrows and every. And I think it was just a really, really, really well done sequence. Haley Steinfeld is brilliant as Kate Bishop. The repartee between her and almost everybody, between her and Jeremy Renner, it works. Between her and Florence Pugh, I want to see more of those two characters on screen together. There's a new character played by a lady called Alaka Cox. She plays a character called Echo. She's going to be having her own TV show very soon. And she is the first deaf actor. No, 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 no. Because there was one in Eternals. But she's but she's deaf. She's deaf. She's Native American. She's going to get her own TV show. So Marvel is using these TV shows to expand the representation, which I think is all good. And I think her character is actually really, really good as well. So I really enjoyed the show. I'll give it a four out of five. I think that there are some things where that, that well, was with the MCU, everything that they're doing right now, you're like, okay, what's coming next? What's coming next? And it's, and the, they have this habit of making you think what's coming next might not be the, worst thing ever <laughs> it's like oh maybe maybe i do want to see that and they have some surprise cameos one surprise cameo that that links to a surprise cameo in spider-man no way home which as okay. i said it was not the it's, it's not the most high profile one but it's the one that made me punch the air when i saw it in spider-man uh, no way home and they have something that links to that in this in this show so yeah all in all four out of five really enjoyed it so who do you think won this week sharon Netflix has said. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's only like two numbers, <laughs> I think home viewing won this week. Yes, home viewing won this week. 
both of the both of the things we reviewed at home had four stars, and both of the things we reviewed in the cinema had three stars. So, until next week, when we'll see if there's something in cinemas, there might be one thing that we'll both watch. <laughs> something like, we'll see if people are running scared away from Spider-Man if they finally decided it's okay, it's okay to go back into the cinemas because Marvel have had their fun now and they've taken all the money that people have. I mean, people have some more money now to spend on other stuff. Um, and they might think, okay. Yeah, so it's always a long payday between your December pay and your January pay. So, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Until that time, and also, I think on Netflix next week, I realized something else. I watched another high-profile thing. Don't look up. I saw Don't Look Up. Oh, that's been flagged, but I haven't watched it yet. Yes, uh, I think it would be interesting if you do get to watch it. It would be interesting for you to watch it and see what you say because there's been a lot a lot written about Don't Look Up and a lot said about and a lot of column inches written about this film and people having their say left, right, all that kind of stuff. And um it, it'll be it'll be interesting to have more than one viewpoint on it next week. But I'll we'll we'll add that to my list. <laughs> uh, until then, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye for me. And Sean dancing somewhere on an island in the north of Thailand would probably yeah. say goodbye if he could stop having fun for five minutes. Whizzing around on his moped. <laughs> yes, yes. Until the next time, we will see you guys. Bye.